Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. In 1919, he hit 29 home runs and was sold to the New York Yankees. A three-run home run for Buckington. The Yankees now lead it by a score three to two. Bill Lee is now going over to a couple of the Yankees and there they go. Tech and A-Rod going at it. Roberts is going. Masada's throw. Roberts, safe. What can I say? Just dip my heart and, and call the Yankees my daddy. Welcome to Fanbase, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports. Brian Shackman here, John Senecal. Uh, be with us in, in just a minute here. You know, we had the privilege of talking with Heim Bloom, the chief baseball officer of the Boston Red Sox, and, you know, I just didn't think we'd get much time with him, and he spent – a 15 plus minutes with us and you know the interesting thing is and you know I wish I had a half an hour and I wish I had the opportunity to ask you know a bunch of different follow-ups but I tried to get at a couple things here one is and now in the backdrop of you know the Edwin Diaz news uh, with the Mets at the World Baseball Classic is how stressful is it for someone like Heim Bloom to watch the World Baseball Classic when you know your your season that matters to you and your job is is involved. And the other thing is, it's like I I, I, I you know I have a season ticket holder. I pay a hundred bucks a seat and a twelve bucks a beer. And if the Red Sox is going to be terrible, like what's the value proposition? What's what what am I supposed to be excited about? And how does he sort of justify what they're doing? And so those are the the two elements here. So and again, he's super smart guy. You know, understands what's going on. And so here's our 15 minutes with Heimblum. You know, World Baseball Classic, you know, and in reading about the management of the pitchers and, and players that maybe couldn't participate. I mean, how as the person who runs the show in terms of baseball with the Red Sox, is it are you nervous? Like when you watch Devers go on the field, does it make you nervous? On some level, yeah. But, you know, it's uh, as long as guys are prepared, which he is, uh, obviously these guys play a lot of baseball. So it's such a cool event. Like, how can you be anything but supportive? I mean, you want to make sure everybody comes back to you in one piece so we can get ready for our season. Obviously, we got a lot on the line with that. But uh, it's a really cool event. And, and, you know, I think for some guys, especially the young guys, it gives them a taste of something that, you know, quite frankly, we can't replicate in the minor leagues, right? That's not been applied to someone like Rafi. But if there's a young player, uh, this is an experience that, uh, you know, that they can't really get anywhere anywhere else on their way up. 
Yeah, and baseball is not quite the sport as others are in terms of representing your country as much. So I, I definitely see that. You know, I, I don't know if you can answer this, but like, who does the insurance on these players for this? That's a good question. I, there is a there is a mechanism in place. Uh, I don't actually know who the underwriter is, to be honest with you. But who foots the bill? Um, is, it the is, play, is, is it the player? Is, is it the player? Is it the team? Like who who like do you pay for it or does Devers pay for it? No, uh, I I think it's done centrally through uh, through the league or through what it, I'm not sure who the body is, but it's not it isn't a team or player thing. Got it. It's it's done centrally and and uh, kind of administered by the folks who are administering the WBC uh, the federations in those countries. You know, I don't know where exactly the underwriting comes from, but it is it is a different process from you know anything else that we have going on with you Got guys. It. We're talking with Heim Bloom, of course, Chief Baseball Officer for the Boston Red Sox. You know, whether it's through our fan base podcast or, you know, what I do on my morning radio show every day, we, we talk a lot of baseball, but a lot of our audience, you know, may not be in it as as deep and certainly not as deep as you are. And I'm just curious as we sort of t- go to maybe 30,000 feet on the Sox, so can, you, can you summarize your approach, your baseball approach to building a contender? Yeah, look, I, you know, I, I think ultimately what we're trying to do uh, is win as many championships as we can. And generally speaking, and obviously this has not always been the case uh, with the Red Sox, but generally speaking, in order to do that, you got to get in the dance, right? you got to get in the tournament at the end and try to get in with a really good team. So the approach is basically to try to put ourselves in position to do that every year, to try to run a club out there that's capable of winning the World Series every single year. Obviously, this is baseball. You know that's not going to happen. You're not going to win it every single year, but you want to have a club out there that can. And when you look at, you know, great teams that sustain themselves over time, the only way to do it is with a constant flow of talent from within the organization. And when you have, uh, when you're in a market like Boston, you have the resources we have. When you have that foundation, you're able to really enhance your team by, by going out and using free agency, using trade, using you know, the different methods of acquiring talent to supplement that foundation. But if you want to be really good and you want to be really good for a long time, you have to have that foundation and you always have to be punishing that. So there's some people who think that you, there's, there shouldn't be a need for a team like the Red Sox to rebuild, to do that. But having, having said that, since you've had a couple of last places, but also won a title in the last couple of years, how close are you to getting that annual model that you think can put you in that position? Well, hopefully we're pretty close. I agree with those people. I think if you look at what has happened, uh, we didn't take that approach of trying to rebuild. You know, when you go back uh, a few years ago, obviously we we had a rough year in 20, but then in 21, we were right back in it. Uh, Last year, obviously we ended up slumping in the second half and uh, didn't get it done. But, you know, obviously we were, we were in the thick of things for a while there too. So, you know, we have uh, done exactly, you know, I, I agree with those people. I think in a place like Boston, you know, you look at some organizations that, uh, you know, have to or, or choose to, you know, really go in a deep, deep valley for a half a decade to try to position themselves for sustained success. Uh, we shouldn't have to do that. We haven't done that. Obviously, there's trade-offs with that, right? There's, it's a tightrope you're walking. Um, but, you know, I think that's one of the, the beautiful things about this market, beautiful things about this organization is that winning is the expectation. Uh, so we haven't taken that approach. Obviously, we still had our ups and downs. You know, some of that I think was baked into where the organization was, following you know all of the the, the decisions that were made to put the club over the top in '18. But uh, the further we get from that, the more will be removed from it as we replenish that young talent base, and that's what keeps you from 
uh, from enduring those valleys is having that young talent constantly coming. You that really raises your floor and it makes sure that uh, you know, you always do have that foundation to keep yourself going. I want to get into some of the players, whether, you know, uh, Yoshida or Dahlbeck, and I want to talk about the division in this season specifically, but I have one more kind of difficult question as a season ticket holder and someone who, honestly, I was on the fence this year because, I, you know, I loved Xander and it was hard for me, but I, I'm still a season ticket holder. Get, ju- justify the value proposition of the $100 ticket, the $12 beer coming off a season like last season. Yeah, look, I mean, obviously last season uh, wasn't a lot of fun. We did not get the job done. Um, you know, that there's no excuses for that. We shouldn't have excuses. We just we just didn't do it. I mean, you could point to different reasons why, but the fact of the matter was, it's, if, if you were watching our game, especially in the second half, you probably weren't all that happy with, with what you saw. Um, you know, that, that can happen. It obviously can't happen in our division. But, you know, I look at this group, I think we're going to have a really good mix of veterans and young players. I think it's going to be a fun team to follow. Obviously, we have our work cut out for us, right? We need to stay healthy. We need to throw strikes. We need to do a lot of little things to win games better than we did them last season. But the margins in this game are so small between winning and losing. I think we showed that a lot last year. Uh, and our goal is really just to try to get ourselves on the right side of the ledger again. Uh, and I do think it's going to be a fun team to follow. Yeah, the division's so tough. I mean, Baltimore's better. They have, you know, obviously the, um, you know, Rutschman have you uh, Rutschman at catcher, and they're better. And Toronto can obviously hit. And you got the Yankees every year, and Tampa somehow, as you know too well, uh, always puts it competitive on the field. I mean, how hard is it in that division? I mean, I guess there are fewer division games this year, so that's a little bit of a respite. Yeah, I think that should help everybody in the division. Obviously, it's going to help the other four teams we compete against, too. Right. Um, it's the toughest division in pro sports. I think it, that's, I've been in it my whole career. Uh, I think that's been the case, really, my whole career. And I think you could argue, you know, last year and then what we expect this year. I'm not sure it's ever been deeper. As, as excellent as the top of the division has always been, uh, last year was really the first time I can think of uh, in my career where you're looking up in the middle of the season and thinking, boy, you might have – five teams that finished in this division with winning records. We didn't quite get there, obviously, but, um, you know, when you when you look at it, it's obviously you can flip a few games are right there, and, and you don't see that. You don't see that in divisions that, that have the top end that ours usually does. Just speaks to, you know, the quality of, uh, of the competition here, but that is where we play, and if you want to if, if win, I, I think the great thing about being in the AL East and competing in the AL East is if you come out of the AL East and you get to the postseason, you know you can beat anybody. Right. because you're more battle-tested than anybody else. Um, that was certainly that's how, how I felt my whole career. I know it was how we felt uh, in 21. You know, we were – you saw uh, the emotion on that field after we took the raise down, and that was just the division series. Um, you know, and I remember looking around. Obviously, that series had a little extra personal emotion in it for me. Right. Um, it was really satisfying. But, uh, you know, I'm looking around at everybody else and seeing the same thing, and I think some of it just gets to – we know how tough this division is. And to be the last team standing in baseball from the American League East, uh, that, that means you're doing something right. And uh, if you come out of this division and you get to October, uh, you're not afraid of anybody. We just got a few minutes left with Heim Bloom, Chief Baseball Officer with the Boston Red Sox. You know, let me tick off a few players here. The Red Sox have had a good history in, in terms of performance and popularity of players coming from overseas in Asia. Masataka Yoshida, just tell us a little bit about him and you know his personality and, and, and what he does on the field. 
Yeah, in the short time we had him here before he left for the for the WBC, he was everything uh, that we hoped. Uh, actually, the personality, uh, obviously, it's hard to know that really well until you really have someone uh, in your uniform and with you. And he, that that's just been awesome. Uh, he, you know, despite obviously English uh, not being his first language, is able to mix in with everybody. Even though he left us on March second to go compete uh, for his country, he was already part of the part of the team by then. And this guy has a chance to be a really special at bat. Uh, he in Japan is one of the best hitters in the league. Uh, controlled the strike zone and made contact at elite, elite levels. And those are the two things that usually translate really well uh, to Major League Baseball. And he also has power. He can drive the ball to all fields. Uh, He's a really good opposite field hitter, which is great for a left-handed hitter in our ballpark. Uh, And, you know, he has a chance to be a really good at that and and just be a run producer for us and someone who can really enhance our offense. Bobby Dahlbeck at short. Will we see it? (laughs) Well, um, you know, we got to see it yesterday, and he played pretty well. Um, You know, obviously – you know, we, we haven't made any secret of it. Kike's going to get the first crack at shortstop, and, and he's going to be our guy for the foreseeable future there. Uh, but Bobby's an athlete. And, you know, just because of who else we've had on this team and pushing him over to first base, I think it's kind of hidden some of his athleticism over the last couple of years. And uh, he runs really well underway. Uh, you know, he can move. He has a good arm. And so just moving him around uh, is something that we wanted to do this camp, just to let him do and experience some different things. Uh, and, and kind of show himself off because, you know, you don't know where those opportunities are going to come. Whether it, you know, I'm not sitting here and tell you he's going to play a bunch of games at shortstop this year, but if you saw him play yesterday, you would think he could do it. And that's always a plus for a player. And I think it builds confidence and ultimately just opens up more options yeah. for Alex and the staff. Obviously, Tristan Casas at first, and he's trying to get a place on the team uh, so we can stay with the team. In terms of Casas, I mean, I know something was written about, you know, should he be a leadoff hitter? Who, who is the leadoff hitter for the Boston Red Sox on March 30th when I'm in uh, Section 163, row CC, seats 9 and 10? Now I know exactly where to find you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's still TBD. Um, That's something, uh, you know, I think Alex has been open about this, uh, that I don't think he's ready to show his hand yet on that. Uh, You really, you want to have, obviously, your best hitters closer to the top of the order. You want to have someone who can put a really good at-bat together uh, up there, and we have some different candidates. Uh, Obviously, some really good options, but... uh, you know, that at least as of now, that's still something we're going to have to wait uh, and see. And uh, I think once we get our group back together from the WBC, you'll be able to see this thing start to take shape. Yeah, and I don't want to waste the time. I assume it's the same with this uh, opening day starter as well. You know, the last question I have for you before we let you go, and we, we appreciate the time, is, you know, obviously Tampa was a big data-driven culture, and it's – across the board and most every team data driven. And now we have these rule changes and I, I, I have a million questions and I can't ask them all. Um, are these rule changes overcompensation? Do you like them? Do you think it'll work? I mean, I, you know, some people, I, I mean, Pedro used to dissect people because he could really just play the count and you had no idea what he was going to throw. And some people think that the pitch clock takes a little bit of the strategy out of that, but I just generally speaking, are we in the right place now with this or is it too much? I am a fan overall, um, and I think we've seen that in these games this spring. When you have a game that doesn't have the pitch clock, you, you say, boy, this game's dragging, right? But and then once you see – I actually think it's kind of taken us back to what baseball was, you know, at least when I was a kid. You, did, you didn't have the expectation that a game was going to be three and a half hours. Uh, so it's not like 
it's not like this is something we haven't seen before. I think it's just a mechanism to force us back into the way baseball used to be in a good way. Uh, I don't think we can be afraid of change. We are in the entertainment business. We can't just assume we have the right to, to people's money, to their eyeballs. Like we, we have to have the best version of our product out there. Uh, every time there's, there's change, every time there's disruption, it creates opportunity. I think that's always been the case. The game is always evolving. Biggest thing, you know, this comes up a lot when you talk about information. The game, the game always changes. It's been doing that for 150 years. It, it, obviously, some things about it stay the same, but some parts of it are always evolving. And for decades, well before I got in the game, and you know, well before I was alive, you know, you're either looking to take advantage of those changes, looking to take advantage of the opportunities they create, or you get left behind and, and you don't win. So this is no different, and I do think it's going to create a much more exciting product. Yeah, and longer isn't better, and it doesn't create a better value proposition if it's three and a half as opposed to two and a half. I can speak to it because I've sat through a lot of marathons. But you just brought about like leveraging advantages. And my last question to you is is a simple one. I know it's a macho culture. Pro, most pro sports are, but I would argue maybe baseball might be the most macho of cultures. Why didn't or don't? You know, this is a shift question. Why Why didn't people just bunt it? Like, I'm a big market. I, I covered finance as well. I'm a big market forces guys guy. If you just let market forces take hold, then usually things take care of itself. And, like, one way to let market forces take care of the shift is just bunt the crap out of it until they fix it. Like, why didn't that happen? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think the, 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 sh- the shift then is going to be interesting because I do think aesthetically it's going to – it's probably going to be something that people are going to like more. Uh, whether it actually helps us accomplish uh, the, the style of baseball we want is TBD. But like I said, I don't think we can be afraid to try some of these things uh, and, and see what we get. Um, you know, you saw that in some cases. I think when shifts were in vogue, it, it did incentivize guys to uh, to go the other way. I, I think what it comes down to is is the reason a lot of guys didn't follow those incentives is it's hard to do, number one. It's, it's easy when you're sitting in the stands. It's hard to do. And most guys can't drive the ball. You've got to be a pretty good hitter to do that. And, uh, you know, same thing with the bunt. Uh, if you're trying to bunt and you can't get it down, you're just putting yourself in a hole in the count. And I think a lot of guys who can drive the baseball just were unwilling to do that. Uh, and maybe uh, shouldn't have been doing it if they're not good at it. It's a skill like anything else. And obviously we didn't see as much of that skill uh, developed in the game. There's probably a lot of different reasons for that. I don't know what this rule is gonna is gonna do for that. Um, but you know, as you point out, even with without this rule in place, we didn't see a whole lot of what we thought we were incentivizing. So I'm not sure we're gonna miss it that much. Um, you know, with these changes. Yeah, interesting. I just it's amazing to me how many how the data worked over time. I saw so many roped line drives that went straight at people like over the second base or whatever. It's just amazing to me how the data bears itself out. Heim, listen, it's a lot of time. We really appreciate it. Uh, best of luck with the season, and and thanks for coming on. You bet. No worries at all. Good talking to you. All right, all right John Senecal, Brian Shackman here on the Fan Base Podcast, the deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports. Listen, what'd you think? Um, I was just shocked that he has no idea who's insuring his three hundred and something million dollar player. Is that weird? I because I read that one. I what was the pitcher? I thought it was Kershaw said he couldn't do it because of insurance, insurance issues. Reasons. Yeah, and so I was I was really interested crazy, in learning dude. the process. It's, I feel like it's like he went and rented a car, and they're like, "Oh, don't worry, my credit card's got the insurance." Yeah, yeah. So I can deny this service to this yeah, and this and like, this. Next thing you know, Rafi Devers takes one to the face, and it's 
Well, because sometimes you know, because he's a really bright guy, sometimes you know when he's being evasive. Like, I didn't ask follow-up on the, the value proposition because I just didn't have time and I wanted to come on again. But um, you would think that that wasn't an evade, evading the question. I mean, that's what he no, thought. No, I legit think, don't think he had any clue. Which is so weird. I, I think it's very strange, especially when it's a player of that caliber. And I feel like that is like the first kind of thing you should know. Like, these guys are going to disappear from our camp for like three weeks. And could get hurt at any moment. Right. And it's not even a question of how much money you have invested in them. It's a question of they're a member of your team. Some guys have, some teams have four or five players that are missing. Right. Right. So if you're missing those players, and, you know, regardless of if you're getting hurt or not, you're taxing your body, right? You're playing way harder than you're going to be playing in spring training. Mm-hmm. You're you're going at it much harder. So Arguably harder than a regular season game. I would think so, too. Yeah. I mean, and look what happened to Edwin Diaz. I, I mean, mean, what do you, I, it's amazing. Like, he, he, he now the, it's, it's the jury's out still. We don't know if he's gone for the whole year. But and it, it was celebration. Good. It wasn't even at the game. Right. So you never really know what's going to happen. So I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, wow, it's kind of cool. I'm, I, I kind of like the fact that they're, like the Yankees really aren't involved in this. Like, I mean, they had Glaber, but, I mean, that's it. You know, the Yankees aren't, See, aren't, this is one aren't, of the, aren't risking it, I guess is what I should say. This is where the World Baseball Classic is, is to me, so fascinating because conceptually, I— Freaking love it! Yeah, I just because baseball players, it's not like other sports. They don't get a chance. It's like well, football aside, it's an American sport. But baseball, you don't get to play for your country that much. Like in hockey, you got the Olympics. You know, right. other sports, basketball, you have the Olympics. Yeah, like, no more baseball in the Olympics. You know, and the thing is, is that it's such, especially for the Latin players, it's a big deal yeah. to represent your country. And but I think there's so much money involved in the game that it really takes away. It's just like all the stuff that's made news about managing the pitchers with. With the the U.S. team and Eduardo Rodriguez now, basically Detroit said like you can't pitch anymore at all. I mean, like how can you be truly competitive between these countries if you have these kinds of restrictions? Yeah, I, I you walk such a thin line with this with the WBC because you if you really want to compete on the highest level, right? You put your best players out there, and honestly, all the best players aren't out there. And we know that. You're going to look right. at the U.S. roster, and you're going to see, yeah, these guys are great, but you can fill it with better players in these positions. So, is it the ultimate prize? I don't know. You know, is it is it a great stage to watch and grow the game? Absolutely. I mean, a lot of things can be taken away. I was watching batting practice uh, that Shohei was taken, and the place was packed, dude. It was literally like watching a, a walk-off home run and right. game nine of a world game. Ninth inning World Series. And MLB can look at that and take something away from that and be like, why aren't we letting our fans in the park? And Heim talked about the experience and what's going to change the experience. Is it going to be because the games are faster? Well, yeah, the games are faster, but people are in your stadium a lot less time now, right? Selling less beer. Selling less beer, selling less merchandise. So maybe MLB should open up the gates a little earlier and let these fans take it in earlier, see some batting practice, get closer to the favorite players change the game change it and it's easy that's an easy first of all i have to tell you you just came across a a phenomenal idea when we went down to baltimore we got in everyone got a foul a a batting practice home run yeah and it was awesome and like i went to the celtics with my son uh, a couple months back and only certain level of ticket holder can get in early right and then everyone else is like they get an hour later but the truth is i think that's brilliant i think that make the game shorter and quicker 
but let people in earlier and even open up your concessions a little right. earlier because then people can come in when they want. It doesn't affect the game experience, and then the game can be quick and there's no big deal. Because I'll tell you, like three-and-a-half-hour games suck. I mean, I will tell you that I'm laser-focused from first inning to the third, and then I, I like go on some some you know uh, Alice in Wonderland trip until the seventh because yep. I never remember what happens in the fourth through the seventh, yeah, and then well, I re-engage in the, the seventh. Game, you've gotten up and you've went to get something. That's another thing they're going to have to look at. Like, Do you want these people that have just spent $300 – with their family to come here, and now they're going to spend probably 30% of the game out in the concession. Fenway, half an inning to get food. It's ridiculous. So they got to look at that. I mean, we all know the games will be faster. It's going to happen, right? You know it. The statistics are there already. It's going to be yeah. happen. So now you got to figure out how are we going to monetize it outside of that, and how are we going to keep the fans in their seats watching the game? Such a good point. I mean, it's an easy fix, dude. I mean, how hard can it be? The most, I would say, 99% of the personnel is already in the stadium three hours before the game it's, starts. And it's so weird because it's such a great thing to be in there early. Oh, my God. I would I would love to go to a baseball game and be able to see my home team, not just the last guy. Watch the whole Yankees yeah. take batting practice. Yeah. You would you would you would you could sell tickets to watch Aaron Judge take But that's MVP. the problem. They'll probably start charging for well, it. Well hey, listen, if it if, if it if it changes the game and it makes it for the better, yes. I mean that makes the game for the better. It it, it grows the game. He's John Senecal. I'm Brian Jackman. This is fan base, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports. Uh, Heim Bloom was our guest, and I'm I'm curious. You know, I, I think it was an interesting take that that he thinks the AL East is the most competitive division in all of sports. I think there's a strong argument to that, and there's a lot of grumblings that people are trying to compare this team to 2013 Red Sox. Where I had a guy on on my morning show who made this point that you know coming off a last place team, they got a bunch of guys on one year deals and a decent locker room. It's funny how the data guys, when they have nothing to say, then they talk about lo- locker room chemistry. It's yeah. like, where is that in your stupid formulas? You know what I mean? Like, all of a sudden you're talking about how the team gets along when that has nothing to do with any of your calculations. But, I, I mean, everyone thinks this is the year that Toronto arrives. I'm sorry, I'm not a believer in the Yankees as a title team. And I think Baltimore is at least an 85-win team. I do. If John Means, he's still there, right? If yeah. he's back pitching, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think even if the Red Sox are better... There still could be worst. Yeah. One one thing I was interested about what he said is I did not know that Bobby Dalbach could play shortstop. Yeah, he played the other day. So I think that's interesting. When you look at a player like him and you look at a player like Kike, um, it speaks to the versatility in what teams are going towards. I mean, you look at the Yankees have Oswaldo Cabrera. They have IKF. They're going to be starting to move out into center field to try him out. So teams are looking at that because they know. I mean, like John Sterling said, injuries are going to happen, right? They will, yeah. So – I thought that was interesting, the fact that the Red Sox are looking at that. But, again, I think they have a big hole as far as the leadoff spot. And I know he wasn't going to answer that question because I don't think Alex Cora knows the answer to that either right now. Some people say that Cassis should do it because he, he puts ball, you know, he— He also strikes out a lot. Though, I know, too. but— But the other thing is, is, you know, they just announced that Corey Kluber is going to be the opening day starter, and we still got two or so weeks left to go to spring training. So I'm not a big buyer in that either. Like, right. I mean, Corey Kluber could fall off a bicycle. <laughs> no, no pun intended. <laughs> you know, take a page out of sales book, but still, like, we're two weeks away. A lot could happen. I mean, Edwin Diaz, five years, $100 million, might not pitch this year. I cannot believe that. John, I just, before we, we're tight on time, before we let you go, any thoughts on the Yankees in the spring? I obviously haven't watched them as closely as you. So, yeah, I am think I think we'll we'll save our overall spring thoughts for a later episode as yep. we get closer to the season. But what about so the shortstop, far, maybe? Um, I think shortstop, I think Volpe looks like he's going to, emerge as the possible you know he is he is the sexy sell i mean peraza is probably more ready right now um 
Based but they're not going to do some service time move. Gonna... I don't think so. I think I think if they're going to do it, I think they're going to go for it. Like you know, I mean, like what Jeter got in nineties and right. 96. It feels like that, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does feel like that, which is great. And then we had the Martian who in in camp, and I believe he's still in camp. And he, you know, Jason Dominguez, and he's hitting home runs like crazy. And of course, all the Yankee fans are like, you know, release Donaldson, release Hicks, and put him in the outfield, and you know, put DJ at third. I mean, everything sounds great, but when you know you're writing the check and yeah, Donaldson's too expensive to just dump. I mean, but you know the way I look at it is, you know, if it comes down to a lot of money, right? And Uncle Stevie with the Mets, he don't care about money, and nope. I would think the Steinbrenners wouldn't worry about it either. Do you really think Josh Donaldson's going to come back and bite you if you release him? I know the twenty million dollars will, but do you think Josh Donaldson, the player, no, is going to come? But I think so it's I think the money that's what that you is have the to point, look though. at, right? I mean, the money, the money, you know, he's not, he's not worth it, right? He's not, he's nope. not going to win the MVP, and we know all these contracts at the back end aren't worth it eventually. But is he going to hurt you? That's the way you look at it, I think. And if you release him, he only hurts you in the wallet. He's not going to come back and burn you in the playoffs. You feel good about the team? I mean, we're going to do our well, preview. Well, I mean, obviously we got but... some injuries, right? I mean, yeah. and, and, and spring injuries are, are are worrisome, but when it involves a $160 million pitcher and something on his forearm close to his elbow, you get nervous, right? Yeah, sure. So, and a guy who we were hoping to come back in man center field has got an oblique injury. We all know what swinging a bat and an oblique does. Yeah. So, it lingers. All right, it lingers. John Senecal, Brian Shackman, this has been Fanbase, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.